Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We're wrapping up our series that we've called Empowered this weekend. And, um, and we, we've been, been talking about marriages, talking about, about singleness, and talked about, uh, about men and women. And, um, and today I just, just want to wrap up just kind of focusing on Jesus and how he did this. I, I, as a young kid, um, I, I read my Bible quite a bit. My parents actually bought me a comic book version of the Bible. Uh, and uh, as my mom and dad would travel around different churches when they were back in the U.S., um, they're missionaries in China, uh, when they'd come back to the U.S., his dad was preaching the same message every weekend, I would sit in the back and I'd read my, uh, my comic book Bible. And that's how I learned a lot about the Bible and about the stories about Jesus. And I was always, just this thing about Jesus always stuck out to me that, you know, whoever he rubbed shoulders with, the experience of the people he rubbed shoulders with is that, that this, this, this tide, this rising tide of, of worth and value, this rising tide of acceptance and love was the common experience of those that he encountered. And oftentimes the people he encountered were the very people that much of society avoided being around. And his presence empowered them. It brought value to their life. Uh, for example, he, he, he would go to the, the sick, people, like, uh, people who, were, who had leprosy, who had lepers, that were seen as social outcasts. In fact, leprosy had a stigma attached to it. I mean, you really have messed up your life so much that God has he's actually judged you and given you leprosy, a slow, destructive disease. And Jesus, he didn't, he didn't distance himself from lepers. He actually drew near to them. He engaged in conversation with them. He actually put his hands on them, which was a, was a big no-no in those days. They were unclean. And uh, ceremonially, you become unclean by touching them. And he healed them. And they, they felt loved. They felt accepted. They felt valued by Jesus. Uh, Jesus had this same effect on sinners. In fact, one of the gospel writers says that, that there was these notorious sinners that Jesus spent time with. I mean, you've really had to make a mess of your life if you're famous for your sinfulness, right? I mean, but Jesus, he doesn't distance himself from notorious sinners. He actually draws near. And, and rising tide of, of, of value and worth and acceptance and love is experienced by these notorious sinners. Jesus empowered women. Uh, he, he had women disciples. He crossed the boundaries of the, the social norms, the customs of the day, um, by, by having conversation with women. John chapter 4, uh, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman by the well. I mean, he crosses two lines there. She's a foreigner, and she's a woman. And it's so surprising that the disciples come after they're fetching food. They can't believe Jesus is, is doing this. That he, he actually would, would have this conversation and, um, and he empowered. Women felt loved around Jesus. Women felt accepted by Jesus. William, women felt valued when they got close to Jesus. And the same was true for children. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus so he could bless them. And the disciples, they're like, no, he's, he's kind of an important guy and he's busy. And so you, you just kind of stay away. And Jesus hears about it and says these famous words. Let the little kids come to me. I mean, come on, let me bless them. And Jesus blesses the children. And they felt loved and accepted and valued by Jesus. And Jesus crossed ethnic boundaries. 
I mean, he, he, he goes over, he crosses the Sea of Galilee, he goes in this area called Gadara, and he delivers the, the gathering demoniac from the legion of demons. He travels up into modern-day Lebanon and heals the daughter of a, a, a woman from Sidon, Tyre area. I mean, Jesus, he heals a Roman centurion's servant. And, uh, and, and Gentiles and foreigners felt loved by Jesus. They are valued by him, accepted by him. It's this empowering presence that he had. Now, we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. The word Christian literally means little Christ. Don't let that go to your head. But little meaning that you are to image who God is, who Jesus is to the world. So what that means is that when people rub shoulders with us, the tide levels of value and acceptance and love should rise. I mean, overall, that, that should be the experience when people encounter Christians. And you know, it, it, there's some great stories about that. In fact, this, this week, our pastors of refugee ministries, Doug and Anya Holcomb, were sharing this story. Uh, there's this church up in Idaho. It's called Cross Point Alliance Church. It's connected to our larger family, the CMA, Christian Mystery Alliance, uh, not the Country Music Awards. That, that there's this church, and they're, and they're sending out, they're sending out uh, a short-term missions trip. And they're not packing passports because they're not crossing geopolitical lines. They're crossing state lines. They're coming from Idaho to Salem, Oregon. And in Salem, Oregon, they're holding a VBS for kids, specifically for the children of refugees. Forty kids are at this VBS. And it's a, it's a great week. And at the end of the week, one, one girl draws a picture for Jonathan, who's led the team. And, and on the note, it says, thank you for the music, thank you for the games, and thank you for telling us about Jesus. It's just an ex- See, this is what it's supposed to be. Like. This is like kids. And by the way, the main message that week was about belonging, which what a relevant message for kids and refugees. And the sense is that they, they, they felt valued. They felt accepted, loved by Christians. And friends, see, that, that's the experience that the world should have when they rub shoulders with us, this empowering presence of Jesus. And, and we know that in, in not in all cases, that's the reality. Some cases, the exact opposite happens, unfortunately. In, instead of, of valued, uh, the sense of being valued, it's a sense of being devalued. Instead of acceptance, it's rejection. Instead of love, it's, it's hatred. But Jesus has set such an example of how to be an empowering presence so that tide would actually rise. So the question that I want to kind of get at today is, is how do we empower people? How do we, like Jesus, encounter people in such a way that the tide of value, acceptance, and love rises when people encounter us? What are some practical ways that we could image Jesus to our world in such a way that people do feel valued, that there's a sense of worth to them, that they're accepted, and indeed that they're loved? So I want to just give us three practical ways that that can happen by looking at the life of Jesus. We're going to jump right in here because here's the first one. First one is to see and develop the potential in someone. It's to see somebody and see and develop the potential that's in them. Matthew chapter 9, we get the story of Matthew the tax collector. His booth, his tax booth is set up on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's taxing people as they're coming in. And you need to know that this guy, he was, uh, he was not thought highly of in his society. He was religiously, socially, and politically unacceptable. Politically, because he's aligned with Rome. 
socially because he's actually taking advantage of his own people and his people have, now they're isolating themselves from him. They don't want to be around Matthew because, uh, because he works for the enemy. Religiously, he's unacceptable. He's not even allowed to come into the synagogue. So this guy is one of those guys from the outside looking in. He's one of those guys, his life is, you know, I don't want to be like Matthew. Jesus comes along and he's walking around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee and he sees Matthew. And I think, you know, perhaps, the Spirit of God within Jesus, which by the way, the same Spirit that's in you, the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within Jesus nudges him to extend an invitation. And Jesus says to Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew, just like Peter and John left their nets by the Sea of Galilee, Matthew leaves his tax collector booth. He leaves, he leaves his business by the Sea of Galilee and follows after Jesus. Jesus saw past all the exterior and extended an invitation of access. Many years ago, when I was, uh, I was my, this was my first year in boarding school. I was nine years old. Um, I, w- I, was, I was in Malaysia, and I was kind of learning the, the rhythms of, of life in boarding school. And one of the, the first things I learned is that, you know, after dinner, uh, we, play, we play a lot of games. We had a lot of pickup soccer games. So you would eat dinner as, as quick as you could to get up to the soccer field. Uh, and so uh, I remember one night we would just been put the food in and get up to the soccer field, and we're going to have a pickup game. We got two captains, and we get all the potential players lined up on the fence. And I remember being lined up on the fence, nine years old. It's like my first semester in boarding school, and I'm looking down the fence, and we got seniors and juniors and upperclassmen, middle schoolers, and then there's us scrawny little elementary kids. And uh, I'm not that great at soccer, but I, I, wanted to, you know, I wanted to play. And there's two captains. And one of the captains, his name is Buzz. Buzz Maxi. In fact, he's an international worker with our movement uh, in Indonesia even today. Uh, Buzz is there, and he's picking, he's picking. He's about to pick his first player to be on his team. It's the number one draft choice for his team, okay? <laughs> and I'm standing on the fence, and I, and I know that there are people who are lined up who are way more gifted in the sport than me. But Buzz calls for his first player, and he calls my name. And I will never forget it. I was, you, you want me on your team? And I looked, there's much better players. He calls my name. Friends, that moment was like 23 years ago. No, it wasn't 23 years ago. It was 40, <laughs> 44 years ago. That moment took place, and I remember it with HD clarity. Because he chose me. I just got to venture to guess. Matthew is writing his gospel, and he gets to chapter 9, and he writes about his call to to be a disciple of Jesus, and he's putting pen to papyrus. I think the tears are flowing. Because he knew because someone saw some, saw past the exterior of who he was, because Jesus saw who he could be and, and would be willing to put the time in and give this guy access to his life, that the trajectory of Matthew's life was completely altered because Jesus saw something in him. And I think he remembered that moment so clearly that day that it changed his life. Some of you have had that experience. 
Some of you have had that experience where someone's extended an invitation of access to you. And maybe they said, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I'm a little bit farther along on this journey than, than you are. And, and maybe there's some things you can learn from me. I'll give you access into my life. I'm going to call you to some things that are going to challenge you. Um, but, but follow me as I follow Christ. In fact, for some of you, the Spirit is already nudging you and putting a name on your heart of a person that you could extend an invitation to. That you could empower them in such a way that there's a rising tide of value and acceptance and love that will be experienced by that person when you extend that invitation. Jesus was the master at this and he empowered people as he did it. And by the way, you can't do this for everybody. Jesus didn't do it for everybody. He had his 12. I mean, there's a big crowd that followed. He had his 12, and, and he had his three. But there's probably two or three people that you could significantly spiritually influence simply by extending an invitation. Second thing that I, I think we can do to, to cause that tide to rise is, is this, is to come to the aid of the exploited and the oppressed. Now, who are the exploited and the, the oppressed? Now, the the, the list is long because uh, it can, the exploited and oppressed can be the elderly. The elderly are often taken advantage of. And, and, and children are often exploited and oppressed and taken advantage of, physically and emotionally abused. I mean, the, 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 those are immigrants, refugees, the poor. Uh, there, there, there's a long list of who, the, who, who could be the, the, the oppressed and exploited, people who were taken uh, ad, ad, advantage of. But what you need to know is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, after he was baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness, he comes out, goes to church, goes into the synagogue, he takes the Isaiah scroll and reads these words you find in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and, uh, and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's what I want you to see. When Jesus begins his ministry, there's going to be a ministry of proclamation. He is going to declare the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And that, that proclamation is going to take place. What he's also going to do is he's going to demonstrate the love of the Father. He's going to proclaim the love of the Father, this good news of the kingdom. He's going to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom. And this is what it's going to look like. He's going to come to the aid of the oppressed. He is going to, he's going to free prisoners. He's going to deliver people who have been demonized. He's going to give sight to the blind, meaning there are going to be healing miracles that Jesus is going to be involved in. And, uh, and he's going to proclaim that it's a year of the Lord's favor. He wants favor to rest on people. It's what we call this the, sort of the show and tell uh, living out of the gospel. We want to demonstrate the gospel, and we want to tell people the good news of the gospel. Which is, by the, by the way, this is why we do ministries like Feed Salem, Feeding the Hungry. This is why we're invested in Salem Free Clinics and we're partnering with 70 other churches in our community, providing mental health care, dental care, medical care to the uninsured and the underinsured. This is why we've been providing firewood for people to heat their homes in the wintertime for almost 20 years. This is why our furniture bank ministry is, is helping people as, as they're starting over again and getting in beds and dressers and, and other. This is, this is why we do this, because Jesus did it. 
He came to the aid of the oppressed and the exploited, those in need, the poor. Um, and, and as he did this, the tide rose. People felt valued, accepted, and loved. One account of that, Luke chapter 7, I'd encourage you to read the story later. Jesus is having dinner with Simon the Pharisee. As he's having dinner, there's a woman who's a prostitute who's come in, into, the, into the area where the dinner is being served, and she's weeping. She's, she's sobbing, and the, she's at the feet of Jesus, and her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. She's then taking her hair, she's undone her hair, which would have been culturally unacceptable, undoes her hair, and washes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. Then she takes some perfume that she's likely paid for from her occupation as a prostitute, and she rubs the perfume into Jesus' feet. And all while this is happening, Simon the Pharisee is judging the, the credentials of Jesus. Because the way the Pharisee looks is, you see, if Jesus were a true prophet, he wouldn't have anything to do with this woman. But see, the opposite is actually is, is the reality. These are the people that Jesus came for. But Pharisees complain. Pharisees complain that he would, he would allow a prostitute to, to wash his feet. The Pharisees complain when Jesus set people free from, from demons. The Pharisees complain when Jesus gave sight to the blind. The Pharisees complain when the people sang uh, that, that about, about Jesus on, on Palm Sunday. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, what am I complaining about these days? Because that, that's the virus of the Pharisees. And yet Jesus, he says these incredibly powerful words. Read the story because he speaks to Simon. But he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Can you imagine the bucket loads of guilt and shame she's been carrying around for how long? She knows what she's doing isn't right. She's trying to survive. Can you imagine what it would have felt like for someone like Jesus, highly influential, highly regarded, to, for him to say to her, your sins are forgiven. A fresh start. Powerful words that would cause her to, be, to feel valued, accepted, and loved. And Jesus did this. And by the way, when we do this, God takes notice. Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. God notices when his people can't come to the aid of the exploited and the oppressed, caring for the weak. And oftentimes, how this begins is an attitude. When, when exploitation or taking advantage of someone begins, it begins when you feel superior to somebody. When you feel like that, that you, you're better than somebody, it could be moral superiority, it, it could be just, just who you are in society, your status. When you feel superior to somebody, what ends up happening is you begin to cut corners and you start treating people, uh, you treat them as inferiors. And as it plays out, it can lead to taking advantage of somebody and, and, and exploiting them. Which prompts this question we have to ask ourselves, 
who do I feel superior to? I mean, who do you feel superior to? And by the way, I, mean, I was thinking about that on a Saturday morning. You do know that I actually have to apply what I'm saying before I bring it to you. I'm processing this on Saturday morning. Okay, Steve, who do you feel superior to? And it, it came real quick. I know exactly who I feel superior to. I feel superior to people who feel superior to others. It's pretty sick, isn't it? I have a sense of superiority over people who feel superior to people. Now, Tree and I were talking about this, and I, you know, I, here's where I think this comes from. I grew up in an, another country, and I was the minority. And I have experiences growing up as a minority that, um, that you know, they, they weren't all good experiences. A lot of great experiences. I remember one day, I was probably 10 or 11, I'm standing uh, kind of where people are getting off a ferry, and I'm just standing there waiting for my, my mom and dad, and uh, this gentleman walks over. He's from the, the majority ethnicity in that, in that city, and he, and he walks over. He has a newspaper, and he just full-blown just whacks me upside the body, just completely hits me. I have no idea why. And I, I think those kind of experiences in my own growing up led me to this place where I feel superior to people who feel superior to others. Simple thing like that. Who do you feel superior to? Because if we're not careful, that sense of superiority will lead to a place where we may exploit somebody. We may take advantage of somebody. We may oppress someone. But if we'll come to the aid of those who are being oppressed and people rub shoulders with us, what's going to happen is there's going to be this rising tide. Rising tide of value. People are going to feel valued as they encounter Christians acceptance, that I'm accepted for who I am. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that someone does, but you can, you can accept the person. Jesus did that time and time again. And love, love. People felt loved when they were around Jesus, and people can feel love when they're around us. Last practical step that we can take to be a person who empowers is simply this, give your power away. Give away your power. It could be positional power. It could be an influential position you have. But you just give away power. And again, Jesus is the master of this. John chapter 1, he's gathering his team. He's got his first two members of his team, his first two disciples who are kind of following him. They were disciples of John the Baptist, and they're kind of following after Jesus, and Jesus notices that they're stalking him, and, and, and Jesus says, hey, what do you guys want? He said, we, we just want to be with you. And so Jesus says, come and see. That first, about the first year of Jesus' ministry was sort of this come and see phase of how he discipled people. Just come watch. I'm going to do the ministry. I want you to watch. I want you to see what I'm doing. And just, just, just watch me. But there's this shift that takes place. It wasn't long before Jesus with his disciples, what he was saying is, now I don't want you just to watch me. I, this is not a spectator sport. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do it with me. We'll be side by side. We will do ministry together. You're going to watch me and do it with me. You're going to learn so much more. And then there's a the third phase. There, there's the come and see and there's the come be with me. Let's do it together. Then there's this phase in which Jesus sends his disciples out and says, hey, I want you to go preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I give you authority to heal the sick and cast out demon from the, demons from the demonized. 
And you're going to go. I'm going to stay here. When you're done, you're going to come back, and we're going to debrief the whole experience. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to be your coach. You see what he's doing here? You watch me. Let's do it together. You go do it. We're going to debrief a little bit afterwards. And then comes the moment where Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. I'm handing you the keys to the kingdom. Now, you got to realize, these followers, they don't have it together, all right? They're still fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They, they're still trying to figure, they don't have all the answers to the questions. But Jesus is giving away authority to his followers. Come and see. Come be with me. Now, you go, and I'll, I'll, we'll debrief, and now I'm going. Here's, you, you go. All authority has been given to me. So you go to the nations and you disciple them and teach them everything I taught you and teach them to obey it and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You, you go do it now. Jesus did not say, all authority has been given to me, so you better do what I say. All authority has been given to me, so you better show me some respect. He, doesn't, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And he literally empowers his disciples and gives away authority to them. Friends, when people give away power like that, when they trust you, when they, when they give you responsibility and they believe in you, you feel valued, accepted, and loved. When someone believes you in that way, that they would give you that kind of responsibility, it means something. See, Jesus is not one of those dictatorial, autocratic leaders in which the whole universe has to revolve around him. It does. But he sets the standard by saying, you know, yeah, I'm the Lord of the universe, but I'm going to take a servant's towel and I'm going to act as a slave and wash your feet. The Gentiles, they tyrannize you. They lord it over you, but not like, I don't want you to let them. I want you actually to be a servant. I want you to be the slave of all. If you want to be great, that's the pathway. You do that, people will feel empowered by your presence because the presence of Jesus, the kingdom will be flowing from you. That's the kind of leader that Jesus is. And practically, you and I get to do the very same thing. We get to give away power. We get to give away authority. In practical ways, this is what it can look like. Maybe some of you are parents. You have children. Um, and you can empower your kids, or you can disempower them. You can empower your kids. One of the ways that Trina and I tried to practice this with our children was we just came up with this thing that, you know, when our kids are, you know, age 18 or 17 or 19, whenever they're going to take that next that transition in life where they're going to leave the home, maybe go to college, or are going to go to work or whatever they're going to do, that we want them to be equipped and empowered as much as possible to, so that, that that transition isn't such a huge one. It'll be a transition. There'll be some bumps in the road, but let's just try and help them in that transition. So we said, you know, when our kids are seven years old, we want them making seven-eighteenths of their decisions. We want to just start releasing, asking them, hey, what do you think? What, you, you, you make the choice. Now, you, you, you give them the appropriate decisions to, to make, like Burger King or McDonald's, okay? It's kind of, kind of getting them used to, to making decisions, but when they get older, you start giving them some bigger decisions. I remember very clearly, and Trina does too, we had two children, our oldest son and our youngest daughter, uh, Brittany and Chase. 
And they were not very happy about the food selection in our refrigerator. Um, and so we saw, we saw this as an opportunity. Here's a teachable moment. So Trina handed the food budget money to Britt and to Chase and said, okay, here's the deal. You are taking the food budget and you're going to Winco and you're going to do the shopping for all the food this month. They're like, yeah. And there's a little fear and in, in intrepidation in our hearts. Like, are we going to be eating Twinkies for uh, four weeks? But we, we put the money in their hands and say, you do the grocery shopping. And uh, when they came back, they said, this is so hard. Yeah, they, they, they realize they don't have unlimited resources, right? And things cost money. And yeah, you want a few special things, but you, you do need to, to eat in some healthy way. And in that moment, what happened is that it's just we gave them power, the power to choose what we're going to eat. It's just small things like that. You just give away power. And, and people feel valued and trusted, accepted, loved. You can do that as a parent. You can do that as a boss, an employer. Yeah, one of the first lessons I learned working for uh, United Parcel Service back, back in the day was uh, my, my boss said to me, Steve, we won't know truly how effective a leader you will be until you go on vacation. Because when you go on vacation, then we're going to see what your center, how that center performs. We're going to see how well you have developed your employees. Well, I'll never forget that. Because, I mean, my first vacation was a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> like, how's, how's it going? Well, it taught me something. If I want my department to run well when I'm absent, then I'm going to have to do some training and develop, developing of people, and that means giving away power. Think about the areas you have influence. Think about the arenas that you lead in. Are you giving away power? Or are you just kind of making everything revolve around you? Everything's got to run through you before something can happen. You know what? If, if, if you're leading people or you, you're employing people and you're doing that, I just need to know. People are exhausted by your leadership. You may never hear that, but I'll tell you, right? Because you're not paying me. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but see, see here, Jesus, power. Yes, he has all power, but power wasn't his identity. So he'd give it away freely. When power becomes our identity, then we hurt people. We take advantage of people. Now, let me just wrap this whole series up. We're talking about empowering men and women, boys and girls, singles, marrieds. We follow the, the example of Jesus. See, he saw something in people. He saw something in you. And he called you. He's developing you. And he's called you to come to the aid of the exploited and depressed. Because people who have encountered grace... They don't hoard it to themselves. They've, they've got to come. They've got to, they've, got, they've got to see that same grace extended to others, that mercy extended to others. And they, they want to give away power. Because it's not about them. It's about their Lord, their master, Jesus. About pleasing him. So one final question as we wrap up. When you walk in your home, 
When you walk into your neighborhood, your workplace, overall, does the tide rise or does the tide recede? Now, here's what you could do. See, find someone that you know loves you but is not impressed by you and ask them that question. And, and no yeah buts and you know, no, but here's the, here, no, no excuses, just listen. Overall, I mean, I know we all have good days and bad days, but overall, does the tide rise or does it recede when I walk in the room? Because you know when Jesus walks in the room, when Jesus walks in the room, people feel valued. People feel accepted. Even if their life is a mess, they just felt accepted by Jesus. They felt loved by him. And he would challenge them, but the tide rose. May it be so with us. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, we thank you. Father, we, we thank you that you saw something in us, that you would, you would call your son to take on flesh and to come and give his life as a ransom for many. We're part of that many, and we're grateful. Jesus, thank you for all you have done for us. Yes, you went to the cross, but you showed us so many other things. You imaged your Father so well. Now, Holy Spirit, empower us to image Jesus to our families, in our workplaces, with our coworkers, in our neighborhoods, to one another in the church. Lord, may, may our city say, man, I don't know what's going on at Salem Alliance over there, but man, every time I'm around those people, I don't believe a word that they say, but I just feel valued. I feel accepted and loved. We can't do that without you, Holy Spirit. So fill us and empower us. Align our hearts with yours. We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.